All right, we're in the, we've made it all the way to the second chapter in First John. Very persevering of you. Uh, so that means you need to find your Bible, and it's in the back, three or four chapters back from Revelation, and those chapters are very small. So uh, you'll find it uh, in the very, very back. We're going to be in the letter of First John. There's First John, Second John, and Third John. All that means is that there's three letters, and they gave them the snappy titles of one, two, three. And so um, um, first John, the first letter of John that he wrote to the churches of Asia Minor, as we said. And in chapter two, we're going to sneak down about halfway down that in verse 18. And as per our habit here of standing and reading and kind of honoring scripture in that way, let's do that this morning. The words will be on the screen behind us, behind me, in front of you. You don't have to turn around. They are behind you as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, Father. 1 John 2, 18 through 26, we read, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have all knowledge. Well, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please sit down. Have a seat. So I'm very slowly... <laughs> very slowly writing about 10 books, but one of, one of the books that I'm writing very slowly is called uh, Categorical Lies. And in it, I want to define or uh, kind of examine four different kinds of lies that um, uh, just fall upon humanity. And in my mind, I'm thinking that by by being able to sort of categorize or identify these lies, that we could then unpack the truth that addresses that lie and then empower us to, to work past these common stumbling block lies in our lives. The reason that seems important to me is because um, in this book, if I ever get it finished, would make the thesis, the statement that we live in a world of lies and that these lies kill. And it's so easy to be deceived. 
so easy to be deceived and in the world of lies that we live that we become not callous, but numb to the noise of the lies. We simply can't see them anymore. It's just the air we breathe. And the centerpiece of all those lies, the greatest lie of all, is as John was just saying, is the lie of the Prince of Lies that says uh, that I deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is equal in power and authority with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It is that lie that cripples humanity from enjoying the fullness of the abundant life that John talks about. I fail to put on in the full power the full authority of Jesus Christ. And so I am underprivileged, underpowered because of that failure. And then the world saps whatever else is left of me. So, so this morning I want us to kind of confront that, to get in front of that and put an exclamation point behind that so that we can move forward as a church highly aware of the presence of lies in our world. And, uh, and I'm th- I, I want to address big and small lies. I, uh, I, I, I think that uh, uh, the little lies are consequential as well as the big lie. So living in truth, very, very important. John says in John, the same writer, but in his gospel, right? In his gospel, gospel of John, he says uh, in chapter two, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Actually, that's from 1 John. It says John 2, but that's from 1 John 2. And who is the source? This is the liar, the Antichrist, the liar. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he is the liar. Who is he? This is from the Gospel of John. John 8. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character. That is one of the great lines of literature. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He can't help it. It's what he is. He's a liar. Wow, what an indictment. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So we live in this world where the prince of lies has been imprisoned in place and time. The air is greasy with lies. These lies float on the airwaves of humanity. And that would include television and radio and electronics and Twitter and all that stuff. But it's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. And, and when I say airwaves, you might be thinking, you know, well, this, Dave's making a political statement about, uh, you know, fake news. And I'd be happy to in another setting. Um, but... Um, in my mind, I think most of the news is fake. The, the politicians don't speak unaltered truth. The bankers, the educators, the healthcare systems, the social services, anything that has developed their system out of the world to fix the world is going to have lies embedded in it. It just will. Because it's the character of the world to speak lies in its fallen state. We can't help it. We just lie. 
because it's about me and my world and my power and my money. The world lies to us all the time. And so we forget that because we live in this greasy, smoky world, but we don't have the glasses on that we can see it for what it is. And we just get used to it. And that's deadly because these are not just lies. These are deadly lies. These lies kill. As sure as putting a poison in your mouth or a gun to your head, these lies will steal from you the joy and hope of life. It will hurt those you love. These lies are terribly consequential. That's why Jesus said, I've come into the world to be truth, to save you from this darkness, the lies and the darkness. I've come to rescue you from that. Follow me out of the darkness, out of the lie, and into truth. And discover what abundant life is. Come on! Some did. And so, we hear this, and we recognize that it's from the world, and if somebody floats an answer from the world to the circumstances of the world today, color me skeptical. I doubt it. Because the, the answers to the world's problems don't exist in the world. So there's a formula for spiritual deception. Let me put this on the wall. The mathematicians will love this. Maybe the sociologists. Uh, the formula is this. 0.5T plus BFL equals D. So let's translate that because that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Half-truth plus a bold-faced lie is deception. I package that both. It's a, hey, we're going to jump into, uh, we're going to kill ourselves and we're going to go into a UFO in the back of a hail bop. <laughs> really? If you start with that, you're not going to get anybody. Nobody's going to believe that bold-faced stupid lie. At least no, I don't know, you know what these people were age 24 to 72. And they each did an interview before they died. A, a videotaped interview. And they were at perfect peace. They were good. And the reason is, as I believe that uh, this guy Marshall Applewood had... Applewood? Not Applewood. Apple, Apple White, thank you. Whew, that was close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wait a minute, I'm not of that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Applewood, wow, thank you. Apple White. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> Applewood, Apple White... I, I think he started by appealing, and I haven't done a study, but, but just knowing how lies work, he started with a, a truth. You know, this, this world is not all there, there is, isn't it? This world's a fallen world. You want more than that. There, there's something wrong with this world, isn't there? Well, yeah. You, you want more, don't you? Well, yes, I do. Here, you want to be transformed you want to be improved. You want to be changed into something beautiful and eternal. Yeah, yes, I do. And now I do my bold-faced lie. 
and somehow I capture you in the same net. And it is a deadly deception, terrible, terrible consequences. We know that this lie has this formula, has had traction for a long, long time because we can go back to Genesis and we can see how this works, how the liar uses a half-truth and a bold-faced lie in order to tip over the domino of all humanity. Watch this. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, this is going to sound pretty familiar, I hope. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now real quick, if we go back at the story, it's a little, you know, taking it kind of from a literal sense, it's God and Adam that have the conversation about don't eat of the tree of the gar- of the um, tree of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. Tells Adam that. So now the serpent is talking to Eve. So if Adam has talked to her, it's now sort of secondhand information, right? If if that's how it works out, I'm not sure that's. I mean, I wasn't there. But you shall not. He says to the woman, uh, "Did he?" Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, Oh, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, lest the flesh, lest the eyes, boastful pride of life. Wait, why does that sound familiar? And it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and she took, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What an interesting story. Fascinating. And there is a sermon series in that last line. Soon as they ate it, they knew they were naked and they clothed themselves. What is up with that? Okay, that's, we'll do that in the future someday. So here's the deal. There's a half-truth um, embedded in this lie of, of the evil one. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, that's actually kind of true. Uh, it doesn't tell the whole story, but Adam and Eve were living in a perfect world, a perfectly good world. They, they didn't know anything of evil. So when, when the serpent said, if you eat of this tree, you'll know of good and evil, well, he was actually right. You'll, you'll be able to see things for what they really are because evil didn't exist before. And now you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's just that that's not a good thing. That's true. It's just not good. You don't want it. He didn't say that part. He didn't say that consequence of believing that part of the sentence is going to kill you. In fact, he then follows it, precedes it in this case, with a bold-faced lies, will you surely not die? 
That's a bold-faced lie. That's a direct conflict with what God said. But I can weave that into a story whereby you can see that the food is pretty and it's good to taste and it's going to give you a certain kind of power. Well, why wouldn't you want that? And, and you won't die uh, right away. And so they took it and they ate. And their eyes were open and they became ashamed. The first consequence is shame. So they tried to cover their shame. All right. Now, sometimes I go off script, and it's not always great. Um, so I want to go off script, but I thought since I was going to go off script that I would go ahead and script it. So now I, I'm confused. I don't know whether I'm off script or on script. And, and you will get to see um, some of my best artwork, which is also kind of scary for you. So here's the deal. I want to get to some kind of practical truth right here for a minute because these lies are consequential, and I want to help you find a way out on a practical basis, day by day, moment by moment. Okay? So here's what we have in the world. We have a, a mind, we have emotions, and we have a will. Okay? Uh, a thinker, a feeler, and a chooser. Okay? Those are the things that we use in life in order to make decisions. We use some truth, we have some emotions that we have engaged, and then we have a will that acts on that data that comes into us, either from our mind or from our emotions. And then we make a choice. Here's where the problem comes in. When we make our choices, go ahead and let's flip it forward. When, let's see, how do you like it? This took me seven and a half hours. <laughs> okay, I'm lying. It was nine hours. And, and what do you think that is? Uh, I had to put the little front end on it and the smokestack because Susan said, what's that? <laughs> it's a train! So, so, when we're driving down the tracks of life, and our feeler is the first, the primary component of our will, of our chooser, we make decisions that are emotional. It's based on some probably fleeting phenomena of my life that has charged me up in a certain way, and then I act on that emotion. Have any of you done that before? I did it on my way here. So, so it's a very common phenomenon that there's some flush of emotion. I'm feeling, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling jealous. I'm feeling uh, passionate. It doesn't. It, there, I, I have this flush of emotions. And I begin to make some choices. I say things. I, I begin to choose to act. My will engages. And I act based on those emotions. And bringing up the caboose is my thinker, is the truth, is the reality of life itself. And too often times our feeler 
is susceptible to the lies of the world, right? Uh, I'm feeling a little down today. I have a cold, and I'm kind of I feel kind of punk, and I just don't feel very good, and I haven't gotten anything done. And so the liar then says, "Yeah, you're not very good, and you sh- you should hardly call yourself a Christian." And then you think to yourself, "Yeah, you're right. Not even hardly a very good Christian, whatever that means." And then I begin to act on that lie, that emotional state. And so I quit reading my Bible and I live in shame because I do these things that I wish I hadn't done or said these things. And, and he just gets in there and fires that up. He fires those emotions. Causes them to endure and act in other ways. So let me, uh, let me show you how paralyzing that is. How Let me tell a story so that you can see how foolish it would be to live in that emotional place and to make decisions based on that emotional place. So let's say my friend Mark here decided today that this would be a good time to test like my mental attitude. And so he brings a huge, six-foot-long, very realistic-looking rubber snake. And he decides, he's sitting in the back, and he decides at this point to just toss it into the middle of the row right here. And I say to myself, Ah, snake! I hate snakes! And so I jump up on this chair. Dangerously. (laughs) You should be afraid. For several reasons. I tend to pop my peas and then I spit. So you don't want that. And then I do tend to uh, fall. So I'm afraid. And I'm on this chair because there's this snake here. Now, uh, some caring person, Jill, decides to grab a hold of a, a Bible and toss it at the snake, and it bounces off the head of the snake, and the snake doesn't move. And I say to myself, well, that's odd. I'm surprised that snake doesn't move. And so uh, somebody else uh, bounces a, you know, a hymnal off it, and the snake doesn't move. And, and it occurs to me, I, I believe the snake is not real. I believe that's a fake snake that Mark threw in here just to irritate me. So now i got two choices. My heart is still racing a billion miles an hour, right? I am scared to death of this six-foot, big, old, nasty snake. So I'm up here on the chair still doing this, and you're all looking at me like, what in the world is that guy doing? Well, there's a snake down here. And I, now I'm beginning to see that it's not a real snake. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced that's not a real snake. That is not a real snake. But I got to admit, I'm still kind of emotionally charged about this whole thing. How foolish would it be for me to live the rest of my life on this chair? Because I was afraid to get down because I feel afraid. What if I made my choices based on my feeler rather than the knowledge that this is a false truth and that I should get off my chair and get on with life. How foolish. Sadly, however present. Now, we don't all have um, dangerous, fake snakes. But we all have lies. 
lies that have been thrown at us, lies that we have invested in, lies that we have made part of our personality, part of our think system. And they keep us back from living lavishly, recklessly, hopefully, freely. They leave us held hostage to the falseness of what comes when I make decisions out of my emotions. Rather, we would, let's flip it, put our thinker ahead of our feeler, and we'll be surprised how often I, I feel angry, I, I feel jealous, I feel alone, I feel um, forgotten. And I'm going to say to my, no, so those, are those feelings not real? No, they're real. They come from somewhere. They come from somewhere. Probably inside of them there is a half-truth and a bold-faced lie. So I'm going to put those feelings not aside. I'm going to put them in their proper place. I don't ignore them. I don't say that these are not part of me. I, I, I just don't feel that anger, that jealousness, that fool. I, no, I, okay, I get them. But I know that they're, I know that they're out of uh, half-life. So I'm going I'm to put them over here, and I'm going to let the truth lead me. The truth of God who tells me that I am his son, that I have immeasurable worth, that, that his son died for me and, and, and that my life has purpose and that there is community and I can live above the lie. And as a result, the feelings that I had about my worthlessness begin to, to dissipate and I begin to have feelings of hope and grace and mercy and possibility. Because I'm investing in the truth, not my feelings, where it is a hotbed of lies. Does some of this make sense to you? You should write me a big check. <laughs> this is, this, uh, <laughs> I, oh, I, I'm mostly joking. <laughs> I was kind of looking forward to this moment today. Um, it's, it's, it's so true. If you would, if you would think about this every day when you get up and say to yourself, I'm not going to live in the lie today. I'm going to live in the truth today. And I, and I wish I could say that I have got this thing. I have it figured out. What I don't have it is practically in my life all the time. I have a couple people over. My uh, wife of 48 years, my partner in ministry for almost 20 years, would say, Dave does not always do that. <laughs> he, he will often get his feeler in charge, and he does uh, and says bad things, stupid things. And, and I know that when I get my feeler ahead of me, that I hurt people. I hurt people that I care about very, very much. When I begin to act on things that I know are not true, but because my feeler is prompting me, and I make choices. I invariably hurt the people in my life, I hurt my relationship with God, and I ultimately hurt me. It's hugely consequential, and usually it ends up with me having to go to someone and say, I am so very sorry. I acted poorly. I wish it were different. I hope you'll forgive me. And it's very embarrassing, and it's very hard, and the first person we should be going to in that case is our Father in heaven. It's nice, though, that when I confess my sin, 
He is just to forgive me. And I can begin all over again putting the truth in front of me. All right, that's the extra part. You still have uh, 45 minutes of a sermon. So let's, let's uh, move somewhat quickly through this because uh, there is an annual meeting and I know you're just chomping at the bit to get to that. But let's talk about this passage that we just spoke to where John, it's a complicated passage and there's lots of uh, moving parts to it. He's talking about uh, the Antichrist. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about truth and when the truth isn't in you and abiding. It's, a, it's just jam-packed. And so I'd suggest that you read, read through it a couple, three times, maybe in a different translation, one of uh, the message or um, uh, one of the other kind of uh, easier translations perhaps. But John has a thesis in that passage in John, 1 John chapter 2, that verses 18 to 27. He has a thesis in there, and if we break that down, we're going to find two or three things that are going to help us uh, live in the truth and put it first. Uh, the, the, they are, the points that he's making, we are in the last hour of deception. It says that right at the beginning. We're in the last hour. Pay attention. Okay, got it. And then he goes on to say that the Word of God and the Spirit of God protect us from this deception, the hour of deception. He's, we have something to protect us. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, those are two different things as he creates them. And then he, then he says, therefore, we should let the Word abide in us and we should abide in the Spirit. And so he's saying, okay, we're in the last times. The lies are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, these lies have a protective factor. And if we engage in those protective factors, then life will be, we will be protected from the consequence of these lies. So last hour. Uh, let's see, just a minute. He says, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming to now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Isn't that interesting? He equivocates the last hour with the increase of Antichrist. He equivocates, so, and an Antichrist for him is, is a small a. He's not talking about wherever you go with Revelation and Antichrist and all kinds of stuff that's out there. So we're not doing that. He's not doing that. He's simply talking about the presence of liars who lie about Jesus. That's going to increase. You're going to see more and more people lying about who Jesus is. And that's going to increase as we approach the, the final consequence of God's love for us when he comes and he finally writes things. It's going to increase. And, and the consequence of that is going to grow too. The love of most will grow cold in this time of, of ending. And so he's saying that it's, and, and when he says it's the end time, you're saying to yourself, wow, that was only like 40, 50 years after Jesus died. What's he doing? If that was the, if that was the end is coming, why is it taking so long? I mean, it feels like it's been a long time. When, when Jesus came, what John is saying right here, and this is how you should frame it, this is the beginning of the end. The end is coming. When Jesus came, that started the clock, so to speak. Lit the fuse. And so now the, 
lie exists to be able to say that Jesus is not the Christ. Before that, the Messiah had not come. There was no great lie to propagate. Now there is, since Christ came, and now we can deny Him, and the lies grow in number and intensity, and the consequence grows in intensity. And so we live in this world of lies, especially as it concerns Jesus Christ and His and his divinity, his oneness with, with the, the Godhead. So let me comfort you. <clears throat> his good friend Peter, Jesus' good friend Peter, remember him? He wrote a letter to the churches, and he says, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, his promise to correct all things. He is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, us, but he is patient, not willing for any to perish. His tarrying is an act of love for those you care for. So, two protective factors. That's the status, and the last hour, that's its own deal, right? That's a, another sermon series. We got sermon series. There are these uh, protective factors that he has worked into this, and I want to talk about those briefly and, and pray with. So uh, that first protective factor, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, protect us from deception and lead us into eternal life. So the first thing to notice in the passage is that this this, um, truth is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So as I was saying, when I let my emotions run away from me, I make choices that hurt others. It is the Spirit of truth that draws me back. When I've made a bad choice and my heart, my head, my my heart, my emotions, my sensitivities begins to run away, somewhere, someone, some loving person hopefully will walk up to me and say, Dave, you're out of control. You need help. You're letting your emotions run away with you. Let's speak truth to each other. Let's see if we can't get out of this together. You see, it's it's a gift from God, truth is. It's a gift. I I can't summon it up myself. You, You won't be able to fight your way out of all those emotions. Once you've put the emotions in front of you, you'll never be able to fight your way out of that on your own. You desperately need truth. The gift of truth to call you out of that, to awaken you. Realize the, the nature, how perilous it is that you have walked up to the edge of disaster thinking that you're safe. And the truth says, you ought to take a step back, Dave. You're going to fall over that cliff and the consequences are going to be catastrophic. Take a step back. And that is a gift from God. So that's what he's saying is now receive that gift as a spirit of truth. You've been anointed by the Holy One, and you know. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. He can, now that I know the truth, I know the truth about who Jesus is, He can remind me, He can tell me, He can say, Dave, you know this isn't true. It's embedded in your heart and your mind now. You've got a new truth, you've got a new reality living in you. Don't go there, don't live there. That will kill you and others that you love. Come home. Come back to the truth. Put yourself in the light. 
I didn't include verse 27 in that list, but if you go to it, I would say, the, the Holy Spirit, which you receive from God, abides in you, and so you have no need that anyone else should, should teach you. So he's not saying that you don't need to go and hear a sermon or read a book or that type of thing. What he's saying is be careful of people who want to teach you something new. People who want to add to the truth. You've got everything you need. You know who Jesus is. Now you can go deeper in Christ, but you don't need a new answer. You don't need another answer, a bigger answer. Some secret information. And frankly, that's what was going on in that day. The Judaizers, the Jews were saying, well, uh, you need Jesus, but you also need circumcision, and you need a diet, and you need to wash, you need to add the law. And, and Paul fights back and says, no. You have everything you need. You don't need the law. Don't do that. Don't listen to those voices. Or the Gnostics who, who come and say, well, it's not so much, they, the Jews want to add something, the Gnosticizers want to take something away. You know what, uh, Jesus, he's good, but he's not God. I don't know where you got that idea. He's a really good guy, but he's not God any more than you're not God. Well, frankly, we're all kind of gods. What? So the Judaizers want to add the law. The Gnostics want to take away the divinity of Christ. And John is saying, don't listen to those guys. Don't take something away. Don't add something. You already have what you need. Now go deeper in that. Abide in that. Live there. Stay there. Tabernacle there. Be in conversation there. Live there. Pray there. Meditate there. Be immersed there. Be careful there because there are going to be voices that want to draw you out of that place of abiding. That place of living and breathing and finding my meaning in Him. So he's just desperately hoping that we will choose well, which means I'm choosing by the truth. Because there's going to be times when I don't feel saved. How do you feel? Do you feel saved? Not really. I have a lot of shame in my mind and heart right now. And I'm thinking about my sins. And I'm thinking... I. Oh, I just haven't done very much for Jesus. I'm just probably not very good. And then um, somebody, if somebody was good, would say, are, are those truths? I mean, are those true truths? Are those things you feel? Do you think that or do you feel that? Well, I kind of feel that way. Okay, well then should, you, you shouldn't trust that. What you should trust is what God has said about you. That he loves you and he died for you and that he is cloaking you with his righteousness and he's going to share his glory with you and you are going to co-rule with him in heaven. That your life is hidden with him in heaven and that there's nothing that can take you out of his hand and that he will be with you always. How about those truths? Maybe you should abide in those truths. Maybe you'd feel better about yourself if you abided in those truths. But I think so. Probably should do that. So, a couple of imperatives. Wow, I got myself all excited. <laughs> I did come here kind of excited. The Lord is calling. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let him abide in you. 
and you abide in him. And I wish that were easier. I mean, that's not great. That's nice and short. You can put it on a bumper sticker. You know, I don't know exactly what that means and how to do that. Paul says much the same in Colossians. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's your first hint. If you want to abide, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be in your heart and in your mind. Let it be on you and in you. Because if the truth is on you and in you, you'll be less likely to be deceived. Let the word of Christ gel in you richly. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with a thankfulness in your heart. Can you imagine that if you did that, as opposed to listening to sports talk radio, that it would be better for you? That you filled your mind with the, with the great hymns of antiquity, with such great, rich theology, and you sang those to yourself, and you reminded yourself of these verses that are now hidden in me because I've got a little tune behind it, and I can sing it. And remember it. You did it with your kids growing up with Salty the Salter and Charity Church Mouse. So that's for your older people. But we put Scripture to music and we sing it because psalms and hymns and spiritual songs make a difference in our lives. It helps us to abide. He's not trying to sneak stuff in with us and there is answers in the Scripture. It's right in front of us. Ephesians says, Be filled with the Spirit, which is the idea of I'm anointed, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, which is why worship is so important. It's why we start with singing. This is worship too, by the way. But why we start with singing, because it prepares our hearts and our minds, fills us with truth so that we are in a, in a circumstance, we are in a, a position of preparedness to hear it when the word is spoken to us. It's not by happenstance. It's not just because that's how we've always done it. The Lord sent the, the worship, the, the uh, horns and the drums out in front of the army in the war. Not because he wanted them to be killed first, but because he wanted to help, he wanted us to march in that truth of the Psalms and the, and the music of his life. We could live there. Let the word dwell in you is like John saying, let the word abide in you. And Paul says, uh, seeing his personal thoughts, uh, for everything and giving thanks. There's a thanksgiving piece here too. So I, I need to wrap up because y'all want to get to the annual meeting. But can you, can you see that I kind of believe in this? I have some passion in this. This choo-choo train is something I actually use in my counseling sessions. Because the mentally ill, I'm not sure I like that word particularly, but those who are trapped in a, in a mental cycle, I'm going to say about 80 to 90% of us are trapped in that because we have invested in a lie. We have taken that lie in and we have invested in it and we have uh, allowed it to grow and find root in me. And if I would simply put on the truth and abide in it and put it in my heart and give thanks and sing songs that have meaning and get my mind off the dirt of the world, 
the greasy lives that are there, we would live above it and we would live abundantly. It's real. I'm telling you, it's the truth. You know it. You just need help living there and that's why we do life together. And that's why life together in Applewood is better than not. And all the people said, all right. <laughs> all right. Therefore, guard yourselves from the deceiver and the antichrist. Love the word, live in the word, pray the word, memorize the word, sing the word. Before every sentence you utter, lay yourself wide open to whatever the Spirit wants to do with you by the power of the Word. Moment by moment by moment by moment. Let's pray. So, Father, indeed, these are important words. It is the truth that sets us free. And you said, Jesus, that you're the truth. You are the truth and the life, and you are the way to that abundant, eternal life. And as Peter said, where else will we go to find the words of life and truth? Who else? So with that in mind, Father, we are remembering that it's about being transformed. It's not a mere transactional experience between me and you where I get a gift, and then I just take it and put it on a shelf. No, you are changing me from the inside out. You are making me increasingly into the image of your Son. As I abide in your word and your truth, I am becoming more and more and more authentically me, designed to be like Christ. And so, Father, I long for that for each person in this room, that they would find the hope and the purpose in their lives by living deeply in the word, abided in the character of Christ, that they might increasingly look and, and act like your son. So we trust you for the hope that this is, and we're grateful for John, your disciple. In Jesus' name, amen.